Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Director of Cybersecurity Advisory Services here at Cyber Theory. Today's episode will explore the relationship between securing data and securing the enterprise. And with me to explore this topic is a woman who knows the space cold and is the Chief Product Officer for Rubrik, a market leader in its category. I hedge that because it's obvious that Rubrik is so much more than a legacy backup company on its way to a zero trust transformation company, and Annika will help us understand where they are on that journey. She's a well-known senior executive leader with a proven track record of scaling highly successful B2B enterprise essay, uh, software as a service enterprises, developing customer-centric product strategy and execution, and consistently hitting revenue growth and margin objectives. She's Got a treasure chest of awards and recognitions, and I'm, I'm not going to recite them all. We'd be here all day, but among them are San Francisco Business Times Most Influential Women in Business for 2021, 40 Under 40 Leader for 2021, Rising Stars Leadership Award for uh, Under 40, and a Top 10 Digital Marketing Innovator from Ad Age, of all people. <laughs> so... But, but more importantly, Annika built LiveRamp from scratch, a subscription business with 450 million in revenue and 1,400 global employees before exiting in July of 2021. Attention young techies, if you're looking for a young, smart, hardworking role model, you need look no further than Annika. A fellow math junkie, Annika earned her undergrad from Stanford in math and computational sciences and teaches in the Stanford Graduate Business School. So, Annika, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great. So, let's dive in. Your outbound marketing messaging suggests that you have embedded the five principles of zero-trust security into your approach. Can you describe for me and our audience how you go about securing the DAS elements in particular uh, applications and data? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the, the things that we've seen here at Rubrik is with our customers is that the world's largest enterprises are seeing a remarkable shift in how they think about security and how they think about security at the point of data. Um, so historically, the world of the CIO and the world of the security professionals, the CISOs, was you know, they collaborated, but they didn't have as many interaction points. And what we've seen in the past couple of years, especially with the rise of ransomware attacks, is that the security teams and the CISOs are now coming to the IT teams and saying, hey, how do we make sure that our data is protected in the enterprise? How do we make sure that in the case of a ransomware attack, we can actually recover and get our business up and running? Um, and this has been a, become an even more critical issue for this day and age, because as we all know, data has become the lifeblood of the enterprise. And so when here at Rubrik, what we've been focused on is figuring out how do we secure the data? How do we approach this data security landscape, recognizing that, and this is where zero trust comes in, where 
we know that attackers are going to get into the system. If someone wants to get into your system, you can put up a lot of barriers, but people will find a way in. And once they find a way in, how do we make sure that the data is is always protected? And for us, that comes down to, to, to focusing on three different pillars. First is data resilience. How do we make sure that data is always available and you're always going to have a copy of your data that you can recover to? And how do we embed zero trust principles into to that piece around data resilience? The second piece we have is data observability. How do you make sure you can monitor the risks on your data and remediate those risks even before you have an attack happen? And then how, after an attack happens, how do you make sure that you can do all the forensics and understanding that, that you need to, to accomplish in order to, to truly make sure that your data is protected for the future? And then the third is data recovery. So how do we make sure that you are able to recover your data very quickly in the case of an attack? So all three of these pillars data resilience, data observability, and data recovery, they're built on that zero trust principle of of saying, trust no one, trust no device, trust no user. How do you give people minimal access as possible? And then how do you make sure that your data can work for you to protect you and your enterprise against cyber threats? And can you drill down into either one of those three areas and tell, tell us exactly sort of how you go about doing it? Yeah, sure. Um, so in, in the data resilience pillar, for instance, which is uh, really the place where Rubrik has spent many years developing technology, we focus on a couple of different things. One is you know, thinking about user access, right? So part of zero trust principles is making sure that you're giving least privileged access. You know that that the more people that have access to your data, the more um, the more vulnerabilities you're potentially introducing into your system. And at every user access point that we provide into your copies of the data, your backup copies, so that you can actually make sure you have a copy to recover to, um, we're requiring mandatory uh, multi-factor authentication. We're advising our customers on least privilege access or really limiting the number of admins you have available to, to access that data. And then we're putting in controls like immutabilities. Once data is written, you can't change it. Um, that means if an attacker even can, comes in and gets access to, to your backup data, you're not going to be able, they're not going to be able to come in and change anything and mess around with anything. Once it's written, you can't change it. We're doing things like uh, retention locks so that when you set a policy for how long your data is going to stay in archives or in your backup copies, you can't go back and change that policy and say, hey, my policy used to be three months and now I'm going to make it one day. We put controls in around that. We're doing things around enabling you to make sure that there's a logical air gap. So there's you know very clear partition between your backup data and your, your primary data sets. So again, you always have a copy of your data to recover to. And then we're experimenting with other more intelligent capabilities where we're saying, hey, can we always, can we uh, offer a recycle bin where we keep, even if you say, hey, I want to delete some data, we're keeping a copy of that data so that you can, you can go back and, and rewind the clock. So all of these capabilities we're putting together to make sure like, hey, you always, 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 always will have a copy of your data to recover to. And we've seen this work in practice. Every week we're getting customers that get hit with ransomware attacks and we've been able to help them recover every single time. Yeah, because what you described initially there seemed pretty restrictive to me. If uh, 
if I change the retention period for my backup data to 30 days or 90 days or what have you, and I can't change it again, that if I got it wrong the first time and I go back and I want to correct that, there must be a path for doing that. Is that not the case? There is a path for doing it, but we put in place a lot of controls and we'll work with organizations to set up their policies. But if you do something like, hey, I have 30 days and I want to go change it to one day, we'll actually you know, we'll actually force you to like um, talk to the customer support team to make sure that that's actually what you want to do. We don't do that in all cases, but certainly when there's something egregious, we're like, well, this looks like a red flag. Maybe you didn't mean to do this. Maybe it was accidental, or maybe you have malicious activity happening. We'll put in place those checks and balances. Okay. So you don't insert some AI level of technology there, you branch immediately to the human factor and get actual people involved in screening me when I, you know, request a, a change at that level. Is that yeah, is that exactly. Uh-huh. The the intelligence, some of the intelligence comes in around like what, you know, when do you call that screen up? But yeah, we're we're over time, I think we'll put in place even more machine learning and algorithms around that. Uh, but today we have some, we want to put into place some simple protections to make sure that people aren't doing anything that they don't mean to be doing in their system with their data. And certainly we're protecting against any malicious use cases. Yeah, sure. Well, and identity is uh, like a big deal, right? I mean, yes. ident- identity proofing we're pretty good at authentication. We're just not very good at proofing still these days. So yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. A lot of our customers too are taking advantage of a capability that we put in around, uh, it's called two person role. So you need um, two people to actually sign off within your organization before changes, certain kinds of changes, destructive activities can happen. Um, so that's another control that we have in place that our customers are using to help with that authentication and make sure that you're actually, the, the right people are doing the right things in your system with your data. How do you know that it's actually me and the other cohort though? That's where, so one is like, you know, you have to, we have to work with our customers to set up like who those actual users are to make sure that you know, you're, we're talking through the different things to consider when choosing who's going to be part of your two-person role. And then the second piece is that is that multi-factor authentication is making sure that we're not, just add, adding easy access in, but you're using you're using like one-time passwords and multi-factor authentication to get into the system. And multi-factor authentication isn't foolproof, but it certainly creates a big barrier to entry. And there's a ton of innovation happening in that area, you know, adding biometrics and other things. So as like, you know, as we as our customers are implementing those kinds of systems, we're integrating with that and offering our own capabilities to make sure that every single authentication into the into rubric is multi-factor authentication. Okay, fair enough. Let me give you a little whiplash here. I want to ask you about LiveRAM. Sure. Um, you spent several years essentially building that business from scratch as part of that team and then ultimately ended up running much of the company. And it got, I mean, 450 million in revenue is a big deal. And you were very young at the time. Can you sort of give our audience a, a glimpse into how that happened and what your what your various roles were? Start, you know, starting with your initial assignment there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I feel really lucky about the and, and grateful for the experience that I had at LiveRamp and the way that it really launched my career from 
from right after college all the way up till today. So uh, when I joined LiveRamp, it was a 20-person startup. We were at the intersection. We were experimenting with many products at the intersection of data technology and marketing. And I started as a software engineer on the team. And basically, like as we found product market fit, and this is where the luck came in, we, you know, we ended up finding product market fit and we ended up like the company ended up being a rocket ship. And really my career took off because of that. I was able to grow within a growing company. I was able to take on more responsibilities. And I had to put in a lot of effort day in and day out to continue to reinvent myself in order to take on those responsibilities. So I was a software engineer. I became our first product manager. I led marketing and recruiting during our early growth days. And then I led product for the majority of the time that I was there. And over time, I I took on, by the time I left, I was president. I was overseeing all of product engineering, customer support, and our security teams as well, which is what got me excited about data security and and rubric when I decided to leave. But it was an incredible journey. I never would have thought that when I joined the company 12 years ago that I would have stayed there for 11 years. But I kept getting offered these new opportunities to help grow the company, help take it in new directions, and really uh, ended up in a place where I was able to drive the strategy, drive the operations, and really successfully take a company from zero to one, um, building our first initial product that got really strong product market fit, and then being able to scale from one a one product company to a multi-product portfolio where we were providing providing marketing technology to the world's largest enterprises globally. Yeah, you, you just named some very popular business books written by VCs as well as part, yeah. of, part of this conversation. It's interesting. Uh, what was the that magic PMF fit? that you found early on? What was the what was the product that really rang the market bell? Yeah. So what we discovered early on is that data was really important for marketing organizations in order to understand who their customers were and how to best interact with and personalize experiences for customers. And when LiveRamp started, it was in the very early days of digital marketing. So there was a lot of very sophisticated tools, technology, and data that was being used to, for instance, determine what kinds of coupons or magazines to send you in the mail or what kind of emails to send you that are going to be relevant based on your previous purchase behavior or things like that. And that rich set of data assets was not yet being used in the digital marketing ecosystem because it was still really early days. So LiveRamp's initial product was about how do you take these rich assets that have been used in traditional marketing channels and help bridge that into the digital marketing world. And that we started building products there and it became... This was really during the time when digital marketing and and the advertising ecosystem online started to really take off. And there was such a hunger for data that we ended up really having a product that was in the right place at the right time to help organizations that were making this transition, that were going through their own digital marketing transformation, leverage all of their data assets on the online and be able to personalize experiences on their websites and within the advertising ecosystem. Yeah, it's a great story. And uh, I know that a lot of our audience are uh, young folks that are part of, you know, we have an education initiative here at ISMG as well called CyberEd.io that we're launching. And we've got a lot of folks that are trying to figure out how to, you know, launch their careers in cyber security. So it's always fascinating to talk to someone like yourself who 
managed to uh, latch on to uh, a wave like this one and hit hit one out so early. So I appreciate that. Uh, thanks. Uh, jumping back to uh, today's world, you know, data storage is an industry all by itself. Yet any industry whose leaders push the responsibility for security back on its customers, in my mind, is immature and public cloud providers claim responsibility for the you know protection and availability of the cloud, yet it's still the customer's responsibility to protect the resources in the cloud. Right. It's further complicated by the fact that in-solution tools that public providers offer are also very different from each other, and that creates a, what I think is an enormous complexity on top of an already enormous complexity. How does Rubrik handle the management of all that interaction? That that would be my number. If I were a buyer of yours, I'd want to know how you're going to help me do that because that's a very difficult situation. Yeah, I, you bring up such a great point. It's one of the biggest reasons that our customers come to Rubrik today is the sheer amount of complexity that they're having to manage because most of our customers have data that's sitting within one or more data centers, data that's sitting in one or more public clouds, data that's sitting in one or more SaaS applications. And they're looking at the surface area and this increasingly expansive surface area of data and saying, how am I possibly going to secure this data across all of these different surface areas with all of the different configurations, technologies that I'm using what is that really going to look like? And, and that's really where, where Rubrik shines is we've built a product, a single product. We call it Rubrik Security Cloud. That is one interface for being able to touch and manage all of that data. Now, on the back end, we have to manage a lot of the complexity of hooking into all of these different data assets, understanding the underlying data, understanding the interaction um, and interface between the applications that, that companies are building and their data. But then what our goal is, is to provide as simple as an interface as possible for our customers to come in and truly be able to build data resilience um, and execute on that within their system, be able to understand the risks of their data through our data observability capabilities, and then be able to recover in the case of any kind of operational or cyber downtime when they need to, and, and doing that across their full surface areas uh, of data. So that's that's something that when I when I first saw the Rubrik product um, a little over a year ago, I was really impressed with the simplicity that we were able to bring to to customers even then. And over the past year, we've we've done even more to unify our products and unify the experience, such that truly, like any enterprise, can come in and have a one stop shop for for being able to manage that all of that data. Is it fair to say then that you have sort of a private cloud front end that? that manages all of that downstream complexity of private, public, hybrid, and edge computing in the back end? Yeah, so the way that we do it is that we have a, we have a single control plane that manages, that, that that's how our customers access managing the data. And then that control plane is hooked into all of the different data sources that um, our customers have within their enterprise. So that could be within their data centers, that could be their multiple different types of cloud environments, that could be their SaaS tools. And so we're hooked into all of those different data sources, and then we're surfacing the actual management of that data in, in one customer experience, in one control plane. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. 
a lot of your messaging is uh, kind of focused around innovation and, you know, obviously ransomware and threat intelligence, et cetera. Although when folks look at Rubrik, they might say you're simply a data backup company trying to look like something else. What, 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 what is it about your product specifically that sets you apart from other uh, legacy data backup and recovery companies on, like a, the VMs and the Cohesities and Acronises? Yeah, so I, I mean, one of the things that really set up Rubrik from day one is that Rubrik is, was only started about eight years ago. And so our architecture from day one, we architected security directly into the way we, we created our data resilience capabilities. Um, and what that meant is that we, we took a software first approach. We built native immutability directly into the software that we are creating. And our entire architecture is built on that foundation. And so when you look at Rubrik compared to other data protection companies or backup, you know, legacy backup and recovery companies, we are complete architect in a completely different way. That provides a ton of value when we think about zero trust data security and what it really takes to provide cyber resilience and data resilience to, to enterprises. And then on top of that, in the past four, four or five years, as ransomware has become a much bigger challenge for organizations, we've not only, we have that secure architecture, which is our foundation, we've built a variety of different applications on top of that to help our customers answer critical questions. Like if you got hit by a ransomware attack, what was the blast radius of the attack? What data actually got compromised in that attack? In that data, was there any sensitive data that potentially could have been exfiltrated as well. How do you come up with a clean copy of the data to recover to? And then how do you actually execute those recovery operations as quickly as possible so that you can get your business up and running in hours and in uh, days instead of weeks and months, which is what often organizations are, are led to. So the combination of our core architecture, being software-driven and, and security-focused, and all of these capabilities that we've built on top have truly, truly made Rubrik, not just from a marketing perspective, but from a product perspective, launched us into the data security sphere. And, and what we're seeing now is that it, when we're going out and selling to our customers, the security teams are part of the conversation. And so it's become very real because security is very interested in what we're doing. And in the future, um, we have a lot of ideas about ways we're going to continue to expand and solve even greater security challenges around the data for, for the world's largest enterprises. So your ideal customer profile is a uh... CISO in addition to the CIO or a combination or influencers in both organizations? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I think today we primarily sell into the CIO with the CISO being a heavy influencer and oftentimes actually accelerating our, our deal cycles because they're really interested in the ransomware recovery piece of what we're, we're able to offer. And then over time, um, and we're already starting to see it with some of the new capabilities that we've built, we anticipate that we're going to make a bigger shift into CISOs being primary buyers of our product. Mm -hmm. And from a financial infrastructure point of view, can you kind of give us some specifics about funding and where you stand relative to uh, your investment cycle and so forth? Sure. We're a late stage private company. And so, you know, our 
goal as a company is we want to build a long-term, long-term, we want to be a public company, but we're not, um, you know, no, we're not rushing into that. We've had amazing funding to date from some top VCs uh, like Lightspeed and Bain and, and Greylock, who've been wonderful partners to us over the years. Our last round was back in 2019, but we've been building, we've been accelerating our growth and building, and we're we're continuing to execute on that. And I think we're really excited about the future. I think we have a great company that's we've built sustainably so that we can continue to grow without having to put in lots and lots of new dollars in order to continue to, to scale our revenue and scale the business. Yeah. And since you've been there, have you raised around? Uh, no. Okay. So these aren't uh, investors that have, for example, you work with at LiveRamp, you know, Greylock and Bain and and Lightspeed. Lightspeed uh, yeah, uh, we uh, they're not. Yeah, they're not investors. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just, and just, because LiveRamp was a public company for the last three and a half years that I was with the company, uh, you know, most at that point, like most of our investors were big kind of investment. Yeah, sure, and, sure. And public company investors. Sure. So I'm I'm uh, looking at the clock here, and I'm conscious of the fact that we've got we're nearing the end of our 30 minute window. But final question then, from uh, we switch to our marketing audience here, from a marketing point of view, what uh, specific campaigns do you have planned over the next 12 months that will lead you to to a category dominant position in the space? I assume that's what you want to be. Absolutely. We're very focused on this week. We have our, our annual customer event, which for the first time in two years, we're doing in person. And we're doing a really big launch around Rubrik Security Cloud, which is our new way of packet, the umbrella of packaging our um, data security platform that's helping organizations solve for data resiliency to observability and data recovery. Um, so we're making a lot of noise around, around that. We've done a lot. I mean, last year we announced a really big partnership with Microsoft. We've been doing a ton of work with Microsoft. We have a lot more exciting announcements that are going to be coming this later this year of how we're building zero trust data security in, in combination hand-in-hand with, with Microsoft. And we have more to come in, in terms of how we're bringing security, new security applications on top of the data to help customers understand the risk to their organizations and really be able to to help recover data very quickly and remediate their systems to reduce their overall data risk. And so we're creating some really cool new products around that, that we're going to be running campaigns around um, over the next six months for the rest of the year. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Just curious, are you... uh... Planning on being at the RSA conference this year? We're going to have a presence there. Um, I personally won't be able to to, to go to that because I'm actually having my first baby in um, a couple of weeks. So, so yeah, but that's but Rubric certainly will have a presence there. Well, congratulations to you on that as well. So, <laughs> managing to do uh, not just multitasking at work, but multitasking in your <laughs> life as well. So, good job, Annika. Thank you. Hey, look, I appreciate you taking the time today. I think this was uh, uh, valuable, at least from my point of view. I hopefully you got some opportunity to talk certainly about the company and and your success there. And I know that our listening audience were able to grab value out of this as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, 
what I'd like to do is uh, revisit this in another six to nine months just to kind of see where you guys are at and what's happened in this space because it, uh, as you point out earlier, is a is an evolving space within cybersecurity for sure. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Great. I appreciate that. And then best of luck with your new baby here. Thank um, you. So thank you to our audience as well for uh, spending another 30 minutes with us here. And hopefully you guys all found this entertaining and valuable. And until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing up. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again. <laughs>